Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon, a retired NYPD 27-year veteran sergeant at a Manhattan North Homicide Squad. And today with me, my co-host, is the great Phil Grimaldi, a retired NYPD detective out of Intel, but also out of the 6-0 squad, where he was in the RIP and in the squad called Homicides, an excellent investigator. And this is sort of an unscheduled uh, real crime episode today because certain things we're seeing and they are infuriating us. And one of the things is the pandemic of crime on the subways. And we're going to show you an incident that occurred on the subway um, on Wednesday night at the Union Square subway station. Just uh, it was at about 10 o'clock at night. So it was it wasn't even late. And I'm going to let. Uh, I'm going to put this live on our screen and you'll be able to tell what occurred. We see it for ourselves because it's captured on surveillance video, along with an uncommon act of heroism that may have saved the victim's life. There's something we had a little bit of problem there. Hang on one second. on instinct. He was waiting for a train in the Union Square subway station last night when a woman was suddenly, viciously attacked. The surveillance video was obtained exclusively by Eyewitness News tonight and shows the suspect walking toward the woman with a large knife in his right hand. She doesn't see him coming, and in an instant, he attacks her from behind, stabbing her in the back and chest. Sean doesn't hesitate and pounces on the man desperately trying to stop the attack. And I just jumped him. I just tackled him, jumped on his back, and that took us down to the platform surface. I'm trying desperately to keep him down, face down, because I know that if he gets up or if he can turn on me and he has that knife, now I'm a potential victim. Bystanders will pile on, and in the struggle, the knife will slip onto the tracks. Responding officers arrive moments later and make the arrest. The victim would be rushed to Bellevue Hospital, expected to survive her injuries. And it could be someone else next. And if things continue on the way they are, it will be someone else next. It was the kind of random, senseless attack that has plagued the transit system in recent weeks, leaving a trail of victims and untold numbers of New Yorkers riding the trains in fear, or not at all. Despite the attacks, Mayor de Blasio continues to promise a safer system. We're going to turn this around. The most important thing to say is we're going to turn this around. I said the other day, recovery equals public safety and public safety equals recovery. I really believe it. Sean Conaboy isn't so sure. What's your defense? Your, your, your best defense is to not be there. But we all have lives to lead. We have jobs to go to. We have homes to go to. We have places to go to. If New York is going to reopen and expect people to go out to restaurants and, and theaters, you can't have this happen. In direct response to the Eyewitness News video, Interim Transit Authority President Sarah Feinberg saying, quote, this unprovoked attack is both senseless and deeply disturbing, and another reminder of why additional uniformed police officers and mental health services are needed in the transit system, end quote. Again, the victim survived her injuries. A suspect is identified as 22-year-old Joshua Nazario of the Bronx, charged tonight with four counts of felony assault.
What's your reaction to that, Phil? Wow, Bill. Wow. Thank you for having me back. It's a pleasure to be here to discuss this. Uh, that guy is a hero. Um, I can't believe uh, how he just jumped right into action. He instinctively got the guy. Um, he put him down. Uh, and I was happy to see that other people didn't stand there videotaping. And they uh, helped him subdue this guy. And uh, obviously the knife, they said, was uh, thrown onto the tracks, which was... Uh, you know, removing the weapon from the guy where he couldn't inflict any other inflict, inflict any other injuries. And just one other thing I'd like to say, when he grabbed the guy, he grabbed the guy around the neck. He did a takedown that in most uh, physical confrontations, uh, martial artists, police officers, law enforcement use. Today, that one little move would uh, constitute an arrest charge and an officer out in Rockaway uh, subduing an individual was actually charged last summer with, uh, I don't know if it's a misdemeanor or a felony, but it's an unlawful chokehold. And all he did was just grab the guy to take him to the floor. However, the city council in New York City made it illegal. So that if he was a police officer, he could have been charged with a crime, that, that, that guy right there, that hero. You know, Phil, I'm so glad you brought that up because you're right. He, it seemed to me when I watched what he did, first of all, what a hero. Unbelievable. And his name is Sean Connerboy. It seemed like he was a martial artist because he took that guy down with a beautiful tackle and then moved into what's known in the martial arts world as a rear naked choke. And you're 100% right. If a police officer did that, he could be arrested for, for an A misdemeanor. But yet here's a fight with a guy who's using deadly physical force. There's no doubt in my mind he saved that woman's life. That woman was stabbed three times in her back and near her neck by this guy was a, uh, what's known in police parlance as an EDP, emotionally disturbed person. Well, now they soften it up even more and call it an emotionally distressed person. All right. In any event, he was off his meds and I, who knows why he stabbed this woman. He didn't know this woman. Apparently he had never been arrested in New York city, but he wasn't from New York city originally. Well, that uh, uh, emotionally uh, distressed person sounds like a woke terminology. We know it as emotionally disturbed person. They changed it to that when we used to call it a psycho in the 70s. It's got a, a proper name, emotionally disturbed person. That's the plague in the subway system at this particular point in time. But that guy being a hero, I think you're 100% right, Bill. It looked like his instincts kicked in. Just like when we go through our training in the police academy, when, I, when you come out of the police academy... Academy, a lot of times you rely on instinct. You know, if you do things repetitiously, you can see it and you immediately react. There's no time to even think. That's what it looked like that gentleman did. I was so glad to see those other people jumped in, as I said before. It was fantastic. And going back to the emotional disturbed person, there was another incident where uh, in Held's Kitchen, I think it was just yesterday morning, where another emotionally disturbed person attacked an Asian person and uh, they made it an Asian hate crime, and he bit off two of the guy's fingers. Now, the other night when we all met at Bardot, which is in Held's Kitchen, when I came out of the Lincoln Tunnel, I traveled six blocks from the Lincoln Tunnel to 46th Street, where we had our, uh, our gathering the other night at Bardot, our police off the cuff night. In that period of six blocks, I saw, and it was just not even looking, just driving, six what I thought to be 
emotional disturbed homeless people. Several of them, at least two of them, maybe three of them, were acting erratically, flailing their arms. Now, these are the people that are walking the streets. I was actually delighted to see that Manhattan, I hadn't been in Manhattan in a long time. It looked like it was coming back. The restaurants were lively. There were people on the streets, very few wearing masks. But then you have this plague of emotionally disturbed people that are on the street. They're in the subway. They're not being given help that they need. There needs to be homeless out outreach, as we spoke about before we went on the air, Bill. And the, the policies have to change. The policies have to change. Now, one last thing. You showed Bill de Blasio. He said that when the city comes back, it's going to equal safety. Now, if you look at one of the definitions of insanity, and I called him delusional the other day. If you look at one of the definitions of insanity, it's the same behavior over and over again, expecting a different result. What they're doing is the same behavior over and over again and expecting a different result. It's insane. We need to have the broken windows policies back, plain clothes, enforcement, and we need homeless outreach for these EDPs, emotionally disturbed persons that are plaguing the city right now. You know, Phil, 100%. I just want to put up the um, on the screen the nine people that are vying for the Democratic um, nomination. Now, subway crime's out of control. Almost every day we have subway robberies, stabbings, slashings, and mentally deranged people pushing innocent strap hangers onto the tracks. The mayor blames it on the pandemic, even though it has nothing to do with that. The mayoral candidates are all clueless progressives. They have no idea how to confront crime. Maya Wiley is quoted as saying, I know what it's like to fear police violence. Unbelievable that she's gonna bash the police during these times. Diane Morales said, the reality of crime is that safety is not synonymous with policing. What, where, what, where is she coming from? I don't know. Where did she get that from? Uh, a few of the other advocates are for the defunding of the police. Any of the candidates that say anything other than supporting and funding the police, they have no chance to get elected. The public has had it with crime, especially the inner city neighborhoods where they're getting the highest level of shootings. The other day, there was a shooting in Brownsville. Six or seven hours later, they had a vigil for the guy who was shot dead. One of the people in the vigil was shot dead at the vigil by a drive-by shooter. People want the police in their communities. These politicians are clueless. The city council, these people are a disgrace. You know, we I think we do have to get back. And this goes right up to the governor. You know, it goes right to the governor. And he's responsible because he put in motion the criminal justice reform without any thought, without interviewing people from the police side. They interviewed academics and politicians, and it's a disaster. And this guy, de Blasio, is the most clueless mayor in the history of this of this city. I mean, when he thinks, oh, the pandemic, it's connected to that. No, it's not. There's one quarter of the amount of people in the city now that are usually in the city. Wait till we go to 100% occupancy of the city, and then you're going to see crime go off the hook. Absolutely, Bill. We're going into the summer months. When it's hot, tempers flare, there's going to be an uptick in crime, absolutely, and violence. Now, as for Diane Morales, that's running for mayor of New York City, to say such a ridiculous, delusional thing that safety is not synonymous with policing? Really? I don't think so. Where she got that from is just unbelievable to say something like that. We've had 
history. We can look at the scientific. If you look at this whole thing scientifically, that when they did enforcement and the broken windows policy, things got better. The broken windows policy, I talk, like to talk a little bit about that just to explain it. The policy is if a window is left broken and unattended, it seems like no one cares and the crime and the other things just get worse. Now, if you leave these things unattended and crime increases, it leads to urban decay. That was a quote that came out of the New York Times article that you sent me earlier today, Bill. It leads to urban decay. There's another thing that we have to worry about. Fear of over-policing leads to under-policing in minority communities and that is just a great, great loss, where it will, which will lead to black-on-black -black crime. Now, if some of these politicians, specifically city council that you just mentioned, Bill, if they would watch the news, in the last two days, I saw several stories, one of which was when they were talking about creating a new precinct out in Queens in the 116. It was defunded after last summer's riots. They got funding from the federal government, and they decided to put it back in. There were two African-American community leaders that said it's ridiculous to defund the police to even talk about that. So they're going to get their new precinct. This afternoon, there was a uh, an attempted rape in Hell's Kitchen. Several people gave commentary on the news. One of them, I think he was a Hispanic male. And he said anything to do with defunding the, the police is ridiculous. The people know it. The people are calling for it. You know it. I know it. It's just common sense. We need to increase policing, not decrease. And we need to put in policies that are going to stop gun violence, stop the homeless. I mean, it's really just so simple to me and you, Bill. I just don't get it. What are they watching? Well, you know, Phil, I think the mantra to uh, the progressives and also to the press, which, you know, every time a progressive says something, they, they're like, oh, my God, we love you, is as soon as you hear someone say, Oh, stop and frisk. Then you know they hate the police because it's not called stop and frisk. It's called stop, question, and frisk. And the press misreports that, and the politicians grab onto it, and they keep repeating it like a bunch of dumb parrots. But it's stop, question, and frisk. And it's not just stop, question, and frisk. It's stop, question, and possibly frisk. So when they leave out 33% of a procedure, you can tell they have motivation to do that. And stop, question, and frisk is one of the most effective ways to get guns off the street. It's also an effective way to stop people who are suspected of committing a crime. Phil, I know you did the same. I did six and a half years in anti-crime, three and a half as a cop, three as a sergeant. Then I went to the robbery unit in the uh, detective squad. So I, I know of what I'm talking about. One of the most effective units on the New York City Police Department is anti-crime. And in July of this year, uh, Commissioner Shea, um, for whatever reason it was, he got rid of anti-crime. And I don't know, you know, the uh, progressives again were complaining that too many people of color were being stopped by anti-crime. But when you look at the science of it, every day that I came into work that I worked as an anti-crime cop or a sergeant, I would look at the crimes on the previous tours and see who was wanted for these crimes. And that's what I would base my stops on, the descriptions of the persons who were on the complaint reports. And that is basic science. 
But progressives only believe in science when it fits their ideology. When it doesn't fit their ideology, uh, not so much. Bill, I'm so glad that you brought that up. One quick thing about Police Commissioner Shea before I tackle a little bit of stop and frisk. He, last July, when he announced that he was going to get rid of plainclothes, street crime, anti-crime, he said, and this is going to be the final chapter of stop and frisk. I think he's 100% wrong. I Like I said in our last uh, broadcast, I don't know if it came from the mayor's office. I don't know if it came from uh, City Hall. But if he's taking responsible responsibility for it, he's 100% wrong. Now, as far as stop and frisk goes, you made some terrific points. It's not that we just arbitrarily would go out and stop people. No, that's not how it works. We would have a description. There would be a robbery pattern. I could remember being an anti-crime with my sergeant, George McQuaid, who was a great boss in anti-crime. And there were like seven or eight robberies in this one particular area. I had most of them. So he gave me the pattern. He told me, he says, listen, we got it. We're getting a little pressure from the commanding officer of the precinct. So what we did was we put our heads together. We looked at all of the reports and it looked like they were happening in, happening in a general area. We went into that area at the time frame that these robberies were occurring and we tossed someone who fit the description and he had the fake gun on him that he was using in the robberies and we closed out a robbery pattern. It was a stop. It was a question. We started to uh, ask him questions. What are you doing here? He fit the description, so we stopped him. Let me go through it one by one. We fit the he fit the description. We stopped him. When we started to ask him questions, he became nervous. He started to put his hands in his area of his waistband. We removed his hands. We recovered the gun. So it went from a stop, a question, a frisk. When we took him into the precinct, we conducted lineups. We got seven out of seven hits on robberies. There were more cases in that. Some of the complainants couldn't ID, but I remember there was seven out of seven hits. That's how stop, question, and frisk works. We need to bring it back if we want to bring crime down in the city. It's not arbitrary stops of just anyone. You know, Phil, you, you described a textbook stop that's conducted by anti-crime and has been conducted by anti-crime across this city. By the way, there's a beautiful picture of a great anti-crime unit, right? Look how diverse that is. You think they're going to be made as the popo out on the street? No. And that gives them an element of stealthiness. It gives them an element of surprise on the bad guys. And, you know, that's what we're missing, you know. But anti-crime, right, is one of the most successful units. And if you want to go even further, this unit here, uh, Street, street crime, uh, one of the most successful units in the history of the New York City Police Department. However, that's no longer around. So when you hear someone like de Blasio talk about deployment of cops in the subway, he has no idea. He was talking about the other day of, well, you got to put them out when uh, in the rush hours. No, that's not where you need to put them out. you got to put them out when the crimes are occurring, the times and the locations where the crimes are occurring. Not just throw them out there because that's politics. You want them out there when the most people are in the subway to see that, oh, the mayor put all these cops out. How about the person standing on the subway platform at 2 o'clock in the morning and is by his or, him or herself? That's where you need an undercover cop. Right. 100%, Bill, 100%. I talked about it in our last podcast. I was a transit cop in 82 doing eight at night to four in the morning and, and half the platoon did eight at night to, uh, I'm sorry, 8.30 at night to five in the morning. So there were cops on the subways and you have people that do work overnight or they come home late 
and they're not by themselves. Going back to that picture you put up of those anti-crime guys, some of the some of the bad guys are going to pin them out right away. But in a general thing, if a guy's doing a robbery, yeah, that that right there. Now they could be, you know, if you're looking at the horizon and you're just walking down the street and you start to target somebody as a, a criminal, these guys might be right there in a high crime area, and you might not, they might not pop out at you if they're on foot or if they're in a car. But generally speaking, these are the guys that are going to be in the area. Like when you talked about the drive-by shooting, if that vigil, uh, if there was an anti-crime unit in that area, they may have been able to prevent the shooting. They might have did a car stop before they pulled out a gun and started shooting. They could have been driving by a few times, raised suspicion. They could have stopped them. They could have questioned them and possibly frisked them and could have prevented the death of that young lady that was killed at the vigil the other night. Phil, this is a real blast from the past. And I think it was from 1985. And this is the transit decoy squad, which you could, Jack Maple is the guy with the white uh, Hamburg hat right there. Very, very successful unit. And you don't even need to do decoy. You just need to have people out on the trains, anti-crime looking guys that blend in with the crowd that can make the arrest when some of these heinous crimes uh, are, are occurring. Look at this one. Another EDP just pushing a woman right into the train. And we've had like five incidents this year where EDPs have pushed people right onto the tracks. And what happened in the, in the incident we're just talking about with this hero, he spotted the guy before the guy even acted. So he's acting almost like he's looking out for his fellow man. He spotted this guy's erratic behavior. And then when he saw the guy pull the knife out, he jumped he jumped in and prevented this lady from getting killed. And you know something, because he was brave, other people got involved also, because th this usually doesn't happen in New York, as you know. Yes, it looked like he instinctively, instinctively jumped into action. He must have noticed the perpetrator acting a little suspiciously. But if you could do me a favor, Bill, maybe pull up that photo again, because I recognize some of the people in that first photo with Jack Maple. Okay. Can you pull that up again? Sure. Okay. The guy with the glasses in the center, just to the right of him, that's Jimmy Nusifora, who I went through the police academy with. Jimmy is now an executive producer of Blue Bloods. Great guy. Jack Maple has the cigar in his mouth with the with the uh, hat. There's probably a couple of other people that I recognize in there. And I think Jimmy, yeah, the girl with the red hair there on to the right with the Yankee jacket. I went through the police academy with her as well. And, you know, this decoy unit, they didn't just get on a train and start driving around and hope that something crime was going to uh, be committed. I'm sure that they looked at the 61s, the complaint reports of the robberies that were reported. And they went into the area where these things were happening and they secreted themselves and they probably made some very good collars. And that enforcement, I said it in our last show, recidivism. If you're not in law enforcement and you don't know what recidivism is, it means that the same people commit the same crime over and over. So the recidivists are the ones that they're targeting. Like I said, they're not just stopping anyone. They're not just going into the subway arbitrarily. They go into the high crime areas where they know these things happen based on previous reports. Phil, I'm going to play another video here just to I'll add it to our stream here. Let's get it going up.
tell your child to run the subway, ride the subway. It's safe. Yeah, I'm not telling my child to ride the subway because I'm afraid for my child. I would tell you is that you know when one incident like that you cannot downplay it it's a horrific incident um, but we're, we're right now down in those types of incidents from last year that's a fact so that's a key part you know phil the balls of cuomo to say anything about crime, period. Here's the guy who's the architect of criminal justice reform, and he has the unmitigated balls to talk about the subway system. Well, he's got to be kidding me. Well, I have to say this, Bill. There's one thing that I agree with him. The subway is not safe, and I wouldn't send my children onto the New York City subway system unless it was totally, totally necessary He's right about that. But again, you brought up a great point. He's the architect of the bail reform. He's the reason that these guys, it's turnstile in and out, in and out. I mean, when it first went into effect, Jimmy Luongo, a chief uh, who just retired recently, told me about a bank robbery where the same bank was robbed four times in the course of two weeks based on bail reform. The guy was robbing the bank, passing a note, and he was getting out. And he was going back and doing it the same thing within a few days of one another, four times in two weeks. And each time that a, a, a perpetrator sticks a note into the bank teller's window, don't you think that puts some gray hair on their head that they think they're going to be uh, shot and killed or something like that? It's terrifying, you know? 100%. But he's the architect. Here he is. And he's he's not going to send his kids on the subway for the problem that he caused, Mr. <laughs> Governor. <laughs> you know, with uh, Commissioner Shea, it can, you know, it could be statistically or numbers-wise, it could be down from last year. But you got to remember, seventy-five percent less people rode the trains in the in this last year because of the of subway pandemic. So there was even less uh, people riding. But there seems to be more of these heinous incidents. We had the subway slasher, I believe, killed like three people. There were like five or six incidents of EDPs pushing uh, people onto the subway tracks. And we had this incident where if this um, hero didn't jump in, uh, we would have had a, a homicide. You know, there he is. Meet the rail superhero, you know. Uh, Joshua, thank you so much for the $5 super chat. Uh, I just got to run a quick um, uh, commercial. Uh, if you guys are looking to move out of New York and looking to move down to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, Carol Waters is a realtor. She's a... Uh, she, Carol Waters sells Myrtle Beach at gmail.com out of the Beach Realty Group. She worked for 20 years at the Fitzpatrick Hotel as a bartender. Her husband, Rob Bain, is a, a rollover from the NYPD to the FDNY, and they both sell real estate down in Myrtle Beach. If you're interested in moving down to Myrtle Beach, give her a call, 914-261-6681. Looking for a great attorney, a retired member of the service, Police officer Joseph Murray, who is a big, a huge supporter of police off the cuff and an outstanding attorney, he has his own website, jmurray-law.com. 
So if you uh, need an attorney for any reason, we recommend Joe Murray. Okay, we're back. <laughs> Bill, I want to give a quick shout out if it's okay. Um, I mentioned George McQuaid. He was a sergeant in the 7 precinct when I was there. Uh, he put me in anti-crime. He put me in RIP. He was kind of a mentor for me. He started my career off early on, and I wa was able to excel and become a detective. But I also work with some other greats. Chief Joe Fox, who's a big supporter of the show. Michael Collins, Chief. We were all in anti-crime together. Bobby Gomez, Joey Calderera, Charlie Martini. We happen to all be working together. We There was many, many others, but I just wanted to mention those names quickly. And being around those people, those mentors, and the good cops, they were good police, as we say, uh, was able to uh, put me on the right path, and uh, I was able to have a great career. Thanks to all of them. You know, Phil, that's one of the things about anti-crime was that the best, in my opinion, the best cops went to anti-crime, and the, they were trained by the cops and the bosses that were in anti-crime that had a wealth of street smarts and street techniques that they could teach the new guy into anti-crime. And usually you were promoted into anti-crime because you were an active street cop. And I can't say enough about my training in anti-crime. I, I was taught by one of the best, this guy, Mike Murphy, who was an 11 year street crime veteran. And he had the precinct crime when I was there. And I learned so much from him that I passed on the guys when I became a boss and was in the uh, teaching people. And you're right, but now it's sort of something that we've lost because there is no more anti-crime. There's one a mayoral candidate who says that he would bring back anti-crime. And um, there's the, the group of them right there. And guess who it is? Our good friend, Eric Adams. Yeah, he's the only one that says he would bring back anti-crime. The rest of them, uh, they have no clue, all of them. Uh, they have no clue. The guy on the right in the middle, I don't know his name, but he said he would cut $3 billion from the police budget. Maybe he should move to Seattle or somewhere. Outrageous. And then, Abs uh, <laughs> Absolutely, Bill. He, he's, he's delusional. He Absolutely. Well, pretty much all of them are. The only one that is the least delusional is Adams. And in a, in, a, in a year where there'd be a lot of good candidates, he probably wouldn't even be considered either because he's no star either. But he's the least delusional out of these nine. But uh, there's some real. And then, you know, it goes to the, the city council is just as bad. We have to get a lot of them removed uh, through elections because uh, they've hurt the police in this town immeasurably. There's a lot of knuckleheads in the city council, a lot. And as far as those candidates go, none of them say anything that really excites me. The only one, and I'm not a big fan of Eric Adams, but he's got my vote based on the fact that he says he's going to bring anti-crime back. Who knows what will happen once he's mayor. But none of them, none of them are talking about anything that gets me excited about the future of New York City. None of them. No, and you know something, without public safety, without the rule of law, without um, prosecuting these crimes, you have a city in chaos. And it seemed there was just a very good article in the Wall Street Journal, and I sent it to you before the show, where they said that he compared that when Democrats hear about, and progressives hear about law and order, it's like they, they're looking at Dracula. Because yeah. for some reason, they don't want to talk about law and order. And you know, it all goes back, we've discussed this before, I've discussed it on the show with Ed Mullins, the president of the SBA. It all goes back to something known as decarceration. 
and their goal is to empty the prisons and the jails, close Rikers Island. But what about the taxpaying citizen that is going about his or her life and demands public safety? They don't seem to care about that person. Absolutely not. Uh, you know, it, it's simple. If there's a, a problem and you want a solution, you look at the problem and you put things in front of you that may lead to the solution. And with the current state of affair in New York City, with the crime plague, with the crime wave that's going on, the previous policies, not the current policies, the previous policies during the Giuliani administration, during the Bloomberg administration, stop and frisk, plain clothes. I mean, when I was in anti-crime, I was in anti-crime in the 80s. If you took the amount of guns that we took off the street in the 7-0 and the 7-1 and the 6-7, let's say, those three precincts in one year, you could probably fill up this room that I'm sitting in with guns. That's how it was then. We can do it again. We just need the right politicians that are going to back the police. We need to have stop and frisk come back. We need plain clothes back. And over a period of time, there's going to be less and less crime. The crime wave will go down and the results will be measured. And I'm sure that it will be successful. Yeah, I mean, 100%. But we have to get back into proactive policing. But it's dangerous, as we've discussed before, with the diaphragm law, with uh, the getting rid of qualified immunity, uh, publishing police officers' uh, criminal, not criminal, excuse me, disciplinary histories online. All those things came from the city council. All of the things that really inhibit police officers from doing proactive policing. So I think what we need to do or the electorate of the city needs to do is to vote these people out. There are some real crazy nuts in the city council, and it goes all the way to the top of that council. People that are real anti-police, people that don't care about the citizenry of this city, and people that really, they just care about their own power. And those are the people that we have to unelect in the next election. Absolutely, Bill. And just think about what you just stated. You made some really good points. I'm a young police officer today in the NYPD or any police department across the country, but specifically in the NYPD. No qualified immunity. If you put your hand anywhere near a guy's throat or neck, you could be charged with a misdemeanor. I mean, how can you do enforcement? No stop and frisk. These things are just Incredible. I see uniformed police officers being spit at in public and cursed and, and they're sticking cell phones in their face and they can't do anything. Not in my day. And I just can't see how the young police officers are going to continue to do the job. And I think they're basically not going to do the job. They're going to do as little enforcement as possible. And it's not even their own fault. It's the policies that are put in, being put in place by the current politicians, by the mayor and by the police commissioner. I just wanted to, we're getting near to the end of the show. I just wanted to post this picture of this subway hero again. And we played the video earlier on the show. And what he did was uh, no less than extraordinary. And, you know, this day and age when you see all these woke idiots with their cell phones as they videotape someone getting beat to death on a train and they're, and they're yelling world star as they take these videos. This guy was a breath of fresh air. And he undoubtedly saved that woman's life. And because he was brave, other people in the crowd 
came to his aid and held this guy till the police got there. His name is Sean Connaboy. Sean, you could be in my anti-crime unit anytime. Good going, Billy. I like that shout out to him. I would love to have him in a conversation on the show. That would be a great conversation, I'm sure. And the funny thing is, I wonder if they're going to call him a racist on this, that he, uh, you know, he tackled. The, I mean, that that's the state of affairs that we're coming to. Everything is race, race, race. When here he is, just an ordinary guy, a native New Yorker probably, and uh, he's on the subway, and he instinctively saw something, he took action, and he saved that woman's life. A real superhero, as the headline says. And Phil, as we pointed out, he did everything correctly. However, if a, a uniformed police officer used the rear naked choke like he did, which I applaud him for doing it, a cop could be subject to arrest. So city council, if you're listening, you idiots that, that passed that law, and Cuomo, you're just as responsible. You guys have inhibited the police from doing their job. You've prevented them from doing their job. And you really need to reverse some of these idiotic things like the diaphragm law, uh, you know, getting rid of qualified immunity. You really have to rethink it. And of course, bail reform. But the arrogance of you people is, is so high that you probably think what you did was good. Billy, you brought up a great point there. I just want to touch on it. You said if a police officer in uniform did that, how about if this hero was part of that uh, that decoy unit that you put up before with Jack Maple, and they just happened to be in that station, and they did the same thing? They could be charged with a misdemeanor. Think about it. It's insane. I mean, how do you take somebody down that's wielding a knife? If you, your hand winds up near the guy's neck because you're taking him down and the diaphragm law kicks in, I mean, how can you do the job? It's unbelievable. Great shot at those people. Great shot at those people. You know something? I don't think they care that you can't do the job. They don't want the job done. To them, uh, runaway crime, they don't even want to face that it's happening. They, they, you know, as they said in the Wall Street Journal today, in that article by Daniel Henninger, that it's like, it's like putting a vampire in front of them. They don't want to talk about crime. And just because of the crime wave, two out of those nine um, people that are running for the Democratic nomination started talking about crime and the other seven started going after them. How dare you talk about crime? You know, it's so ridiculous. But luckily, June 22nd, one of these people were, will emerge so that the other eight will, will never see them again, hopefully. You know, although maybe they'll run for some other office. Who knows? That point you just made, they had to know whoever was responsible for these policies, starting with the governor, the mayor, the city council. If you take away enforcement and you put the hands of the police behind their back and you handcuff them that they can't enforce the law, what do you think is going to happen? We've been saying this from this show and the last show. It's common sense. Wake up, New York. We need policing. We need stop and frisk. We need homeless outreach. You know, Phil, you're 100% right. And we just hope that the good people of this city will wake up and support the police and let these politicians know. They're politicians, which to me, saying the word politician, I, I feel a pain in my, in, my, in my chest when I say that word. But they wake up and get rid of some of these bad politicians. They're politicians. The word itself is horrible. And hopefully we'll get them out of office because... We have a guy who comes on the show that runs New York City uh, Kids in Boxing, Pat Russo, a great guy. 
And he tells me all the time that the, the people in the in the inner city in Brownsville, they want the police. Of they course. want police in the neighborhood, but yet these politicians, every chance they get, they talk against the police. Maybe these politicians should go down in the subway and patrol and see what it's like, you know? De Blasio should take about 15 or 20 of them down into the subway at 0200 without their bodyguards, you know, see how well they do. Yeah, a fat chance of that, but that's a very good point you brought up, Bill. Uh, if you just, if these politicians would just watch the news, I cited some of the interviews that I saw in the last day or two, African-Americans, Hispanic-Americans, New Yorkers, they want the police. You just said it. Patty Russo said the people in the inner city, in the urban areas, they want the police. They think it's ridiculous. All you got to do is watch the news and you'll get a consensus. You know who doesn't want the police to have stop and frisk? The bad guys. Come on. It's common sense. Exactly. Exactly. I think we uh, pretty much covered the, we got all our anger out <laughs> and we, we we pretty much covered the topic and we're just hoping, look, it's Friday. When you, what's been happening on the weekends, every weekend in the last few months? Absolutely. It's been, it's been the Wild West. Yep. And, you know, again, it's on Cuomo and it's on de Blasio. Cuomo likes to just give COVID, uh, COVID briefings and take his $5 million book advance. But he's caused a lot of this crime as well as de Blasio and given assist to the city council. And anyway, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon, a 27-year NYPD veteran out of Manhattan North Homicide. I was a sergeant. And my co-host today, retired detective second grade, Phil Grimaldi of the intelligence unit. He retired out of 6-0 squad, anti-crime, transit. He did it all, you know. And so we're talking from experience, not from uh, sitting in the seat of a city council member. And, um, I, you know, I, I hate to just harp on this, but they deserve, they deserve this. And uh, they've created this. They took New York City from being the safest large city in the world to going back to the 80s and 90s with crime going out of control. Anyway, I'm your host, Bill Cannon. This was Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. Phil, thanks so much for co-hosting. Thank you, Bill, and thank you for having me. God bless. You too.